Hello, this is Miss Leslie Barker, the pastor's wife here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining in today. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to your heart through His Word, and that this podcast will be a source of encouragement and a blessing to you today. Let's open in prayer, and then we'll get into this lesson called, That Was Not in the Planner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this closing lesson, and I know that there's nothing that's accidental with you, including the order of things. And I pray, Father, that as we cover this closing lesson, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us in this final time, and that you'd help us to see how great and mighty and powerful you are, and that we're not forgotten, and that sometimes you allow things to happen in our lives because you see it as good for us, even if we don't. Oh Lord, please help us as we study this lesson again. I pray you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit power to help us to listen carefully for the things that you want to give us from your word. And we thank, thank you so much, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Somebody sent me a quote into my inbox, and it said this, Joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. And I thought about that, and I realized how very, very true that is. Joy is not at all related to whether or not you have trouble in your life. It really is just related to whether or not you have Christ. And the joy of the Lord is so important in a Christian's life because the Bible says it is our strength. Have you been feeling weak lately? Like burdened down, like you can't take anymore? Maybe you're missing some joy. And maybe the Lord wants to restore that so that he can rebuild your strength. And one of the ways God restores our joy is by changing how we look at things. You know how they say uh, perception is reality? Unfortunately, that's true. Though it isn't so much what we might have thought somebody said. It's how we took it, right? I've illustrated it many times when I've taught the lesson on sister friends. I told about the time that somebody said to me, you carry your weight really well. The great translator in the sky said, hey, chubble, you don't look half bad for a tumble. That's how that came across. Perception is reality. However they meant it, that's how I took it. When somebody walks up to me and offers to sell me diet aids, I take it the same way. Here comes another chuckle report. Perception is reality. Well, you know what? The truth of the matter is it's not complete reality, but it's the way we're seeing it. And so, you know what? We, when we lack joy, we're looking at life through dark lenses. Our perception of life is distorted. God wants to give us a clearer view. He wants us to see life the way he sees it, and he wants us to see trouble the way he sees it too. So there are things that happen that aren't always in the planner. How many of you had something happen within the last calendar year and you did not see that coming for anything? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And while some of us can chuckle, some of you maybe had horrific things. 
because it could go either way, couldn't it? It wasn't in the planner, we say, but it was in God's plan. He allowed it for reasons we may not ever understand on this side of heaven. My dad died when he was only 42 years old, and I was a 10-year-old little girl. I'm promising you that was not my mom's planner. And to make it worse, it was only three days after Christmas. How could dad die three days after Christmas? Three days after giving me a Susie homemaker oven. I had cakes to bake for that man. My little girl mind thought like that. My 10-year-old mind thought, Daddy, not now. You've got to come back. That was not in the planner. I got engaged in 1982. I gave my mom the news. She had already picked Norman anyway, so it was like, a, to her, it was like, finally. She really loves my husband, and he really loves her, and is that ever a blessing? That makes for a dynamic trio. We go on vacation together every year, my mom and Norman and I, and she is such sweet company, but their relationship is just a blast. They like all the same stuff. They like raisins. <laughs> Start there and work your way down. But the year that I was engaged to Norman was the same year that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. That was not in the planner. She was only 44 years old. Dad by now had been gone about 12 years. And here's mom getting this horrific diagnosis right on the heels of good news. It works like that sometimes, have you noticed? Bitter and sweet, it just kind of works that way. Well, life got quiet for a while. And I thought especially all was well with my mom when she survived breast cancer. But, but breast cancer was treated very aggressively back in the time in the 80s. They used very poisonous chemo drugs to kill the cancer. And sadly, those drugs had a terribly toxic effect on my mom's body. And over time, her kidneys failed. The next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call from my mom. And she's telling me, Francie, they told me I have to go to the hospital and I've got to go on dialysis. And I said, well, when, Mom? And she said, today. Do you know what day it was? Ladies' extravaganza. That's our largest meeting at First Baptist Church of Rosemount. Guess who the coordinator is? You're looking at her. I was spinning probably 100 plates trying to keep them all up on the stick, making sure nothing went to the ground. You know the circus routine. Spin, 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 start at the beginning, spin, 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 and keep it going. It was that kind of day. And then I got that phone call. And at that point, you know what? I didn't care if every plate dropped to the ground. I wanted everybody to just fill in so I could go to the hospital. And we've got step-up girls at our church. You got step-up girls here? You got to run? We got you. They took over. I went to the hospital and held my mom's hand while she had her first dialysis treatment. I didn't know what this was going to mean. But I knew that it was going to be hard. It wasn't in the planner. Now every Tuesday, when I'm in town, which most Tuesdays I'm in town because I try not to travel at the first part of the week, I go over to Mom's house and we have a standing mother-daughter date. How many mother-daughters are there in here? Oh, what? Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, my mom and I have our date every Tuesday. Unless there's something that makes it physically possible, we have our standing date. 
But before we can leave the house and go anywhere, I have to first mask up. You've seen those little surgical paper masks that you put on to keep your germs away. I mask up. I have to get very sanitized. I have to, I have to scrub, 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 and then I have to treat with antibacterial. Then I go in the room and I set up the dialysis machine. My mom has been on dialysis now since 2008. They gave her five years to live. She's still alive. But she's on home dialysis now. That means every night of her life, she connects to a machine that dialyzes her kidneys. It pretends to be her kidneys overnight for nine hours, every night of her life. It's a very sobering process, a very difficult process, and it takes a lot out of her. But she trained me how to set up the unit because she knew that her strength was gonna start going and she wasn't gonna be able to do it by herself anymore. And then I trained some additional helpers so that whenever I'm not there, somebody will set that machine up for my mom. The bags of fluid that you have to put on a dialysis machine weigh almost as much as a toddler. And when you're very ill, you don't have strength to lift stuff like that. My mom can't do any of this anymore by herself. So there's an army of us that help her. But on Tuesdays, when I put the mask on and I get cleaned up and I go back there to set up the unit and put on the bags and connect the clamps and break the frangibles and do all this medical stuff that I never thought I'd ever know how to do, it makes me cry. Because it's my mom. And if she didn't use that machine, then she'd go to heaven. And I'm bracing myself for the day when she tells me, no more. Because I've seen this before. A person gets tired of the journey. They get tired of the machine. They get tired of all those doctor appointments and needle pokes and this and that done to them. And finally, they just say no more. But while I have her, I have told her, my job in your life is to make sure that you have absolute fun. So therefore, I am the director of pleasantries. And that's what I told her. And it made her laugh too. But every Tuesday, after that machine is hooked up, she doesn't need it till bedtime, I get her out of the house. We take her wheelchair if we're going to be walking around. Otherwise, she can use a driving cart if we're going somewhere where they have them. And we won't go anywhere medical. It's against the rules. Francie's rules are no Walgreens, no CVS, no doctors, and no hospitals on Tuesdays. And we go out and we have girl time. And you know what? Simple pleasures. My mom can have more fun in Target than anybody would ever have. <laughs> and she gets me so turned around because she gets in those old driving carts. And she's gone, girls. Like, <clears throat> and I'm on my cell phone, Mom, where are you? I've been all over the store. Oh, I'm over here in the houseware department. Oh, Mom. And I go find her, and she's laughing, and her cart's full like this. She can stuff that little basket out in front of that man. Leaning tower pizza. Here's my mom with all this stuff. We get all of her things out of there. We usually go have a bite, or else I bring a bite over, whatever she has the mood for. Dialysis patients don't have much appetite. You have to stimulate it. I have to walk in the door with something smelling good, or I have to take her somewhere that smells fantastic. Otherwise, she will forget to eat. That wasn't in the planner. None of this was in the planner. But you know what? God saw it coming. And in this lesson, we're going to look at four things that we can do if we're facing things that are not in our planner.
because we do have to remember they are in God's plan. Let's read an opening text together. Proverbs 20, 24. Proverbs 20 and verse 24. If you'll turn there, that's going to be the text we're going to read that goes with this lesson. And on the 20th of April, if you're reading the proverb of the day like I challenged you to do, you're going to be reading this one. You'll come to this and you'll remember we discussed it here at this conference. Ready? Begin. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? It's a question and a statement. It starts out telling us, hey, you know what? Your goings are of the Lord. Then it asks the question, how can a man then understand his own way? Ladies, mark this down. Sometimes you are not going to understand. You just won't. It is not going to be ours to understand 100% of the time why something is happening. We'll be doing well if we just understand what to do next. And we can trust the Lord to help us with that because he says in Psalm 143, verse 8, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. And here's my favorite part. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. That's a prayer request. We can ask him, Lord, boy, I don't know what to do with this. Could you cause me to know the way wherein I should walk? Would you help me know what to do, Lord, because I don't know what to do with this? Ladies, there's no shame or crime in not knowing what to do. But it's always a shame not to ask. The Lord knows. Have you ever thought about that? When we don't know, he does. That's why when I lose something, I don't get too panicky because I know God knows exactly where it is. He can see the precise location of everything. He knows what we did with things that we misplaced. He knows everything. This is the God we're talking about. So what can we do with the unexpected? Number one, face the fears. Face the fears. And it says in Psalm 56, 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Will we? Those aren't just mere words. That is a statement of fact. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're going to be afraid. There's going to be times when things are going to happen and it's going to cause immediate fear. The next place we're supposed to go is immediate trust. <clears throat> what time I am afraid, bam, I will trust in thee. That's what we're supposed to do. So what can we do with the unexpected? We've got to face the fears. Remember this, ladies. Things can change in a moment, and we need to accept it as a fact of life. It is. You know that like I know that. Things can change by the time we get out the door into our cars. Something could be dramatically different about your life or mine. It's part of the fabric of life. I had to face the fact one day, I had to have a face-to-face -face back time with Francie, who's very childlike in her faith. I had to say to myself, you know you won't have mom forever, right? Now, why was I saying that to myself? Because I knew that in the back of my mind, I was hoping I could have her forever. When you love people, you feel that way. You can't help it. We're wired that way from the factory. It's normal to love people. It's abnormal not to. But when you love people deeply, there's a part of you that doesn't ever want to let them go. You have, you've got to have a talk with that part. 
Then you got to remind that part that everybody that loves the Lord, knows the Lord, you'll see them again one day. You can't cling to them forever on this side of heaven. You cannot. I, and anyway, have you ever thought about this? You might beat them to heaven. How do you know you won't? I remember one time I was in the coronary care unit at the hospital over in Minneapolis in, Fair, in, in Twin Cities in Fairview Ridges. And at the time, our pastor emeritus was the senior pastor. Pastor Dr. Ed Johnson came flying to that hospital like a bird. I mean, he always walked real fast anyway, but it always seemed to me like his suit coat was flying in the wind because he was walking so fast all the time. And in comes, whoosh, Pastor Johnson, and he said, look here, young lady. And he shook his bony finger at me. He said, don't you be trying to beat me into heaven. And I thought, listen to a pastor. Like any of us controls it, but it cracked me up because I could tell by the look on his face he was serious. He didn't like the fact that I was in there hooked up to all those machines like that. I liked it even less. But he gave me pause. When he left after that, I thought about it and I thought, you know, he's right. It doesn't matter that he's 30 years older than me, I might think, 25. It doesn't matter. Nobody knows their death day. People only know their birthday. <clears throat> and so on this side of heaven, we never know what a day may bring forth. Accept it as part of the fabric of life. And also remember that fear is an initial reaction, but it doesn't have to become your permanent residence. Don't let that become your permanent place. The scripture says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Ladies, here's what you need to do. Under number one, remember that God can be trusted all the time. You can always trust God. Number two, what else can we do with these unexpected things that weren't in the plan? Number two, face the frustrations. Face the frustrations, and you're going to have them, ladies. In Job 10.1, it says, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Oh my goodness, it's a powerful verse. I'm glad it's in the Bible because I'm really glad to see somebody else got frustrated. God's acknowledging that that's a part of what happens with us when things have gone bad for so long. You will struggle. That is not abnormal. It's common to want to complain when things have gone wrong, but eventually we have to stop or we may drift into bitterness. Accept the fact that you're going to be frustrated, but please don't let it drift into bitterness because that will contaminate you and others. The only way that others are defiled is when that bitterness takes root and springs up in us. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, 15. And thereby many be defiled, not just a few. So if we become bitter, we're going to infect a lot of people around us, not just a few. So it's very important that we realize we've got to face the frustrations without drifting into bitterness. Also remember this, frustrated people tend to behave irrationally. Oh my word, when you're frustrated, that's not the time to sign contracts. That's not the time to go buy a new car. That's not the time to decide you're going to move out of state. That's not the time for any big decisions. You're frustrated, be careful. Also, if you are having thoughts that are hazardous, get help. 
If there's one thing I'm tired of, I'm tired of people pretending that everything's okay when it's not. It's heartbreaking to me to discover that somebody was struggling terribly, enough to try to take their own life, and they wouldn't tell anybody. If you are having hazardous thoughts, deep depression, and it's not letting go, or worse, suicidal thoughts, why do I have to bring that up in here? Because it's reality. And what I want to say to you is, if you're struggling like that, would you please, please talk to the person you came with or get godly counsel from within your church family. But quit pretending. You know there's no crime or shame in needing help. You realize that, right? But what are they going to think of me? Would you take that and file that under T for trash? Who cares what somebody thinks of you when you need help? Get the help you need. Because if you stay stuck in that too long, you could sink into depths that you've never known before. And as I said, frustrated people tend to behave irrationally. You can find yourself in a very dark place if you don't admit that you need the help. And someone is very willing to help you. So what's your to-do under number two? Lay out your frustrations in prayer. Lay out your frustrations in prayer. And in parentheses, get help if you need it. Number three, what are we going to do with this unexpected stuff? Face the facts. Face the facts. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. You know, ladies, we're going to have tough times, but have you ever noticed tough times go away? Have you ever noticed the ebb and the flow? I hope you have. Now let me ask you a follow-up question to that. When it's not tough, do you remember to praise the Lord? We have a joke in our family. We call it the 39 minutes of quiet. If it's quiet for 39 minutes within the family, we praise the Lord. Because somebody's always got something going on. You know what I mean? But when it's quiet and things are just calm, do you remember to thank the Lord? If you haven't, you can do that. But what about when it's tough? Do you need to thank the Lord then? Well, if you believe the verses of Scripture you do, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And that goes for me too. So we're to thank him even for things that don't look thankable. And let's admit it, ladies, there's some things that happen in life, and the last thing we're thinking about is, well, thank you so much. That's the last thing on our minds. No, we're feeling robbed, we're feeling cheated, we're feeling shocked, we're feeling shattered. But we still need to obey. I have learned that I can make myself say, thank you, Lord. If I'll also follow it with, would you help me learn whatever it is you want me to learn here? Obviously, Lord, there's a lesson in here somewhere. There's always deep learning in unpleasantness. Always. I have a lesson I wrote all about it called the University of Adversity. And it's true. You learn a lot in that tough school. But you have to be really careful because faulty thinking can choke you during a trial. 
Never allow yourself to entertain the lie that you've been abandoned by God. It may be tough, ladies, but you're not abandoned. The enemy would like to get you to think that so that you'll run away from God. But the enemy doesn't have anything to offer you. So then you'd truly be bankrupt, wouldn't you? Stick with God through the hard times. Also, stick to scripture like super glue. God will use scripture to comfort you and to keep your thinking straight during those times when things are awful and terrible and hard. If you, if you close your Bible during a fiery trial, you just cut off your own support. No, you need more, not less scripture. When things are tough, dig in deep. Because that's how God transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And that's how he keeps us encouraged that there will be brighter days ahead, just not now. Whatever you're going through, there's brighter days. You've seen the sunshine follow the rain. You've seen it. God did it before. He can do it again. We just have to remember and then also expect the Lord to give you strength. He can do what you can't do. Don't expect to have the strength. Expect him to give you the strength. There's a difference. We think we've got all kinds of muscle-bound strength. And then a, a crisis comes in and we find out that our strength has limits. The toughest girl in this room, you've still got limits. You can still run your tank dry. And that's okay because... The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace, it says in Psalm 29, 11. I learned that God can give strength exactly when you need it in exactly the amounts you need. And this was one of the things I learned when we were on a fantastic vacation in Florida with my mom. It was mother and daughters. My sister, Janelle, my mom and I, we went down to Florida. Norman couldn't come that time, and so it was a girl trip. And I noticed when I walked into my mom's room one night to say goodnight to her that she didn't look right. She had kind of like a glazed over look on her face and she was just staring up at the ceiling. And I looked at her form on the bed and it was swollen, like really big, distended, like, like almost like a pregnancy. And I went, <gasps> and then I ran over and turned off the dialysis machine and I said, Mom, tell me what to do. What's going on here? This isn't right. Tell me what to do. Mom, talk to me. And she said, I don't know. What's wrong? And this, this thing was going. It was taking her down. She was real floaty sounding in her voice. So I called. Of course, you know, you've got to get on the phone call, get some help, get some medical help. Don't try to pretend to be medical people when you're not. My mom begged me, don't call 911. I thought, well, then she's still got some presence of mind. <laughs> Where did I learn that from, my mom? The first thing out of my mouth if I drop to the floor, don't call 911. First call my doctor and tell them what's going on. You know what? Sometimes you have to disobey that. But this time my mom pleaded with me, don't call 911. Call the dialysis clinic. I said, okay, mom, but you know what? They're probably going to make me call 911. I had the dialysis clinic in my cell phone. I still do. I have them ready to dial. I described what was going on. They said, something is not dialyzing right. You're going to have to cancel that trip and get her home. Now, if she has normal vital signs, you can get on the plane. If she doesn't, please just go to the nearest hospital. I thought, oh boy, that's not going to work. I talked to my mom. I said, mom, here's what they said. She said, I am not going to a hospital in Tampa, Florida. I didn't come down here to go to a hospital. I thought, okay, she has spoken and she's still my mom. 
and I don't care if I'm over 50. When my mom says jump, I ask her how high on the way up. Yeah. So I'm following her orders with fear because I really wanted to call 911. But I followed her orders and I said, Lord, help. And sometimes, you know, that's going to be the sum total of your prayer is two words. Lord, help. I called my husband. I told him what was going on. He said, get those flights changed and get here as fast as you can. I jumped on the phone, got our flights changed, packed our bags, wheeled my mom to the car. My sister and I got her into the airport. We sat her in the Sky Club. She wasn't really even talking to us anymore at that point. That's when I got a phone call again from the dialysis clinic and they said, we had a second thought on this. We decided it's probably not safe for you to put her on the plane. Why don't you take her to the nearest hospital? I said, too late. We're at the airport, we've already gone through security. I am positive I can't get my mom back out of here. They said, okay, get her home. Go directly to Ferry Ridges Hospital. So we're on the plane. The, the flight crew all knew what was going on. We made sure to notify them, never get on a plane deathly ill and not let people know you're that way. They get to decide whether or not they're going to fly you. And I was hoping they'd veto us, but they didn't. They put us in the front of the plane so we could get off. When we got there, medical staff met us. Mom was raised to the hospital. She was admitted, they examined her, and they discovered that she had a strangulated hernia that had blocked her digestive system and killed part of the colon. And so there was this dying part inside of her body, and everything was backing up on top of it and gradually choking her to death. She was in surgery within hours of landing, and they had to literally dissect part and take part of her the dead part out of her body. And she was in the hospital recovering for two full weeks. You know what I learned? I learned that you can learn how to sleep in a chair. Who gives you that kind of strength? God does. The Lord. But only when you need it. He can do that kind of thing for you. He can, he can take care of you through the most outrageous situations. But you have to remember that situations change, but God does not. And finally, what do we do with these situations? Face the fire. Face the fire, ladies. It's a refining fire. And God wants to put us through this for reasons that we cannot understand, that we will not understand. But Job 23.10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know when God is allowing difficult things into our life, he's polishing us. And we come forth better than we went in. You aren't going to come forth as gold without the refining fire of God. Let that change your perspective about trials. Don't resent them. Just welcome them as trainers. Because that's what God is doing. He's giving you some additional training in your Christian life that he has decided is the right time, the right place, the right circumstance for your life. We don't see things like God does. And we don't think like he thinks. And we would never dial heaven and say, okay, I'm ready for that next trial. <laughs> we would never, would we? And God knows that about us ladies. That's why he orders them because he knows we never place the order. We tend to want everything to be comfortable and to fit into neat little boxes. Have you figured out by now 
that it does not. Life does not fit in neat little boxes. Things that are hard, ladies, make us stronger. Let that change your thinking as well. After weeks in the hospital with my mom, I noticed God used it to strengthen both of us. Now, when something goes wrong, we're both like, that was nothing like, that's, that's a cakewalk. And it can be a big deal. But we're thinking that is compared to what we went through in that hospital stay and the, the surgery and a repeated surgery after that. Just bring on the jello. We had a lot of jello. The Lord is magnified when we'll allow him to take us through difficulties. And it says in Psalm 50, verse 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. God gets the glory when we will willingly walk through whatever it is he has us walking through, magnifying him all the way and trusting him. Hanging on to that trust of the Lord, knowing that he can be trusted. Hasn't he gotten you out of a fix before? Then why would he stop now? What is this about us that we'll trust him sometimes and not other times we trust him? No, let's just keep trusting him. Let's just keep trusting him. And when we've gone through something and we've come out victorious on the other side, we can't wait to tell other people about how God took us through a fiery trial, and we came out and we don't even smell like smoke. And you know what I mean, don't you? You know those miraculous times when, okay, I don't know how this is going to turn out. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not going to turn out. This is all just toast. And then God. And his mighty hand, his powerful arm, he comes and changes everything. And we go through that and come out on the other side all right, you better believe we're going to tell the people how good God is. And he gets the glory when we do that. So what is your to-do under number four? Let God refine you through trials. You know, trials, adversity, affliction, those are all God's refining tools. Well, ladies, for years, on my refrigerator, I had this magnet that said, if you're not happy today, what day are you waiting for? You know, I think sometimes we look at trials and adversity and affliction through the wrong glass. The scripture says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. That's what it says in 119, Psalm 119, verse 71. But we think, it is bad for me that I've been afflicted. This is woe is me time. I think I'll do my Eeyore imitation. Oh, well, it's all bad. Can't get worse than this. But I guess it is. It's not time to be Eeyore. It's time to trust. It's time to trust a holy God who has been amazing through trials before and he'll be amazing through trials again. What has happened to you that's not the planner? Jot yourself a note. Life is imperfectly perfect. And life is perfectly imperfect. You get it? Just remember that. It wasn't in the planner, but it's in God's plan. And we're going to thank him for it, and we're going to see what he wants to do with it in due season. But remember, you'll always be able to trust God.
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you so much that during the fieriest of trials, the darkest adversity, the deepest affliction, you still said it's good for us. And Lord, I know that you cause us to learn things that we could never learn if we were sitting comfortably somewhere. Lord, thank you that you not only give us trials, but then you give us relief. Somebody in here right now is just waiting to see that relief, waiting to see you answer prayer, and waiting to see how you're going to work it all out. Oh boy, Lord, I've lost track of the number of times I've wondered, how's this going to turn out? And then you come along. And you provide solutions where we can only say, only God could do that. Lord, may you be magnified through our lives as we yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit power, realizing and recognizing that you do everything well. Help us to trust you more, Lord. Help us to trust you in anything you do. And I ask your blessing on these ladies and I ask you to bear fruit that remains in their lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.